How is it possible that in early 2003, so many people in the UK and the US believed that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, even when the evidence was dead against it? It led to a bloody war with over a million displaced dead or injured. How do you get millions of people to stay home in a lockdown, wear a mask, take a few doses of a minimally tested vaccine? How do you get millions of people to take a side in a conflict between faraway Ukraine and Russia? How can a government manufacture consent? In an autocracy, and even more so in an autocratic dictatorship, independent thought is good up to a point. That point is the viability of the regime. In a democracy, independent thought is also good up to a point. That point is also the viability of the regime. Just that in a democracy, the regime is under the fluff of elected politicians. Now, you may be thinking, oh, this guy, aka yours truly, is a conspiracy theorist. But, you know, deep state or the permanent government that, by the way, is essentially the civil service, is the regime. Only in an autocratic system does that deep state have its system personified by the leader itself. In a democratic society, it's hidden under the rugs. In an autocracy, you can quickly change laws, issue decrees, and throw around a few threats. Done. The population can still think what they want, and in many cases, they know they are fed government propaganda. They know Yet, they zip their mouths and move on to the next thing. But in democracies, it's a different matter. In Western democracies, it's actually an art form. Manufacturing consent, by the way, is an idea from the book Manufacturing Consent, The Political Economy of the Mass Media. It's a 1988 book by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky. It argues that mass communication media of the U.S., are, and I air quote, are effective and powerful ideological institutions that carry out a system-supported propaganda function by reliance on market forces, internalized assumptions, and self-censorship without overt coercion, and air quotes. And that ultimately means propaganda model communication. The title refers to consent of the governed and derives from the phrase the manufacture of consent that was originally used by Walter Lippmann in the book Public Opinion back in 1922. The book, by the way, was honored with the Orwell Award. I do, by the way, recommend the Chomsky and Herman book. This podcast, however, is about my take on this matter and how you can identify and avoid becoming party to being essentially sheep herded by freedom-loving governments. In a democracy like Brazil or India, there is ample double questioning in and of the media. Is it truthful? Are they lying? Whatever truth or lying may be. Some institutions at the local or national level could even be, well, not even a tad corrupt, but really corrupt. And that corrupting force ultimately forces you to question, ignore, or rapidly move on from authority. In Western countries over the past few decades, the government's desperate need must be to tread a careful line. Why? Because the collective Western population 
has been fed all kinds of things over the years, like freedom, democracy, consumerism, capitalism, and so on and so forth. So they, the public, think they are more educated, smarter, and more informed than the non-West. And above all, Westerners are of the view that they are actually free. However, scratching the surface even for a second tells you that this kind of narrative is always at risk of collapse, and it won't take long for it to collapse. Western governments have had to learn the art of manufacturing consent, so they can do what the autocrats do because it is really the only way to keep the political entity together and to propagate the civilization. There is this American movie from the 1990s called Wag the Dog. It's a 1997 American political satire black comedy film. The film centers on a spin doctor and a Hollywood producer who fabricate a war in Albania to distract voters from a presidential sex scandal. The movie is loosely based on the 1993 novel American Hero. Wag the Dog was released one full month before the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal in the US and the subsequent bombing of the Al-Shafia pharmaceutical factory in Sudan by the same Clinton administration in August 1998. In December 1998, Clinton initiated yet another bombing campaign of Iraq during his own impeachment trial, no less, over the same Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. In spring 1999, Clinton got involved in the Kosovo War. Again, a nice little distraction. Anyway, my point is that these bombing campaigns to this day are broadly either forgotten or widely supported by the Western liberal elite media. Someone, after all, had to pay for Clinton's extramarital affairs, and it turned out to be people in Sudan, Serbia, and Iraq. Right? Many people at the time went along with the bombing. You know, war. Including the media, especially the media. Sure, there were some raised eyebrows and others who protested, but to this day, as in 2022, people still see the bombing of Serbia as a legitimate endeavor. To this day. And you may be one of them. There were many others. 2001 and 2003, those invasions come to mind. 2001's invasion of Afghanistan was easy-peasy lemon-squeezy as far as dragging public opinion was concerned. 9-11 had just happened. Americans were angry. Blood needed to be spilled and Osama needed to be caught. Manufacturing consent was not an issue. Bush Jr. was popular as a war president under attack. The media and politicians, as well as the military, were all gung-ho and ready to go. Afghanistan was sold as a just war, a war to avenge the 9-11 attacks. Of course, the U.S. was to stay put in Afghanistan for another 20 years. Osama bin Laden was found not in Afghanistan, but next door in Pakistan, not Afghanistan. And let's not even count the innocent civilians dead, maimed, etc., as a result of this war. The 2003 Iraq war is more interesting. I have episode 76 where I also touch on this, but in short, this was a war where consent needed to be manufactured, 
with a little more effort than the 2001 war. You see, this was a different invasion occupation. With Iraq, a people baying for blood had to be convinced that a country with no real link to 9-11, thousands of miles away, and already suffering from a decade plus of sanctions, somehow has weapons of mass destruction that could be dangerous to them. And this after being told that the same invasion of Afghanistan was for exactly the same purpose. So it was part of the same whole, but kind of different. It didn't make sense to me then, and honestly, it doesn't make sense to me now. But that's what the US had, that's what they went with. Weapons inspectors from the UN, such as Scott Britter, were hounded down and discredited. Eventually, the US and its allies went in and invaded Iraq. They found no weapons of mass destruction and got embroiled in a multi-year quagmire. Those who tried to expose the brutality of the invasion, such as Julian Assange of WikiLeaks, was chased and tried and made an example of. Yet, this freedom-loving, highly educated, informed, and rich pool of people believed every word of the WMD lie to go into Iraq. Why? They believed the WMD lie, even though Scott Ritter and others said otherwise. Why? Countries like France warned against the invasion. There were so many protests, yet the US embarked on a 40-day bombing campaign, followed by a land occupation and eventual occupation. Why? It boggled my mind at the time. In 2003, since the evidence was staring at me in the face, but no one else could see it somehow, why, why, why? Then we had the COVID-19 outbreak in 2020. The response in much of the collective West is what opened my eyes that the machine that took many in the West, not all, but many, to war in the early 2000s had once again come to bear. Mass compliance with lockdown orders, mass compliance with masks, mass compliance with vaccines, not once, not even twice, but in many cases, the rice. How do you get entire populations to do what you want? And these people are the civilized, well-informed, free, democratic, capitalist West. I noticed this in action again in early 2022, that being early this year, after Russia's special military operation or invasion of Ukraine. The collective West, including much of their populations, reacted negatively to Russia and positively to Ukraine, so much so that billions of dollars of military equipment were overtly sent to Ukraine. An entire population in supposedly neutral positions, such as the UK, the US, France, Germany, etc., took a side and could not take the view of the other side and indeed displayed shades of xenophobia or Russiaphobia. How and why? Well, I had a theory, and I'll break it down into five parts. These apply equally to everyone, but I'm focused on how supposedly free-thinking, democracy-loving people in the collective West behave, just like everyone else who lived everywhere else in autocracies, etc. And there are five factors. Number one, fear. Number two, media. Number three, technology. Number four, narrative. And number five, mass formation psychosis. So Yoda, yes, that Yoda, the one from the Star Wars movies, said, fear, 
is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. In order to create the consensus, or as I like to call it, the order to create or manufacture consent, you need to be afraid so you can sell fear. It motivates you like nothing else. Putin is dangerous. COVID is dangerous. Saddam is dangerous. Osama is dangerous. Slobodan Milosevic is dangerous. Communists are dangerous. It's all fear building. Sure, it happens everywhere, including in autocracies, but it also happens in the Western collective mind. Serbs are slaughtering Bosnians. Communists are slaughtering freedom-loving peoples. Bin Laden is slaughtering innocents. Saddam is slaughtering his own people. Putin is slaughtering Ukrainians. It sells even to people many, many miles away. And then you have the media, or control of the media. Just know this, and really, you don't need to be too clever to know this, but media is full of spies and sympathizers of the liberal world order. In the collective West, at least, they are. And these people are sometimes known as intellectuals. The media, or the mass media, or the mainstream media, are the bits of information people see, hear, read. So you may be given the impression that when you switch from the BBC to ITV News, and then to Sky News, and then read the Times, then the Telegraph, or the Guardian, or even the Daily Mail, you are getting alternative points of view. To some degree, you are. But are you, though? Are you getting a really alternative point of view? Is really switching between the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, etc., getting you varieties of news sources, or just the same source laid out by different people? It really is no more than an illusion of choice. Options open up when sources provide contrarian views. Before COVID, the system was shy about the media, or overt unhinged control of it was frowned upon. At least in the 70s, 1980s, etc., it was considered dicey, maybe even in the 1990s. However, since COVID, and I have noticed this pretty much quite a lot, the media control is just literally out there for people to see. Nobody is hiding it anymore. So now we've covered fear and media. Now I'm going to turn to technology. Since the arrival of so-called big tech and its associated products, such as social media, instant messaging, financial payments, search, and so on, you have an added layer of complexities that is not present in plain vanilla mainstream media. Now, not only do you need to control the likes of the BBC or the New York Times, but you also need to control technology. We now know, thanks to WikiLeaks, Edward Snowden, and others, that the Western intelligence agencies do spy on their own and other people. This is no secret. It should not be a surprise that spies would work or could work in these tech companies too. It's clear that in a country like, say, China, the government can pressure and regulate their big tech. It's expected. But people in the collective West do not have that mindset. They believe that they are intelligent and clever. Many also trust sources if it shows up in search or social media. It is thus critical for Western elites to have their people 
inside the companies that control these technology giants. So once you've got your people inside the technology giants, and then the government says a word here and a word there, then the system ultimately could become or does become as crooked as the system over in the People's Republic of China. In 2020, when COVID-19 became mainstream, indeed, in 2021, as it progressed across the world, U.S. big tech giants such as Google, Facebook, Twitter, and all of them deplatformed, demonetized, or whatever people who ran views and agendas contrary to the U.S. government narrative. That of face masking, vaccine taking, staying at home, so much so that supposedly rational humans did irrational things, like wear two masks while driving alone in vehicles. That means U.S. domestic politics via U.S. tech giants moved across the world at lightning speed. But the signs of control were ever-present. The 2016 U.S. election results were given an open narrative that foreign policy influence, especially from the government of Russia, resulted in the election of Donald Trump. Though the information was false and in 2022 was proved to be false, the civil service or security state, along with the corporate media giants and the tech giants, ran with the story. Countless hearings, false flag revelations, and all kinds of things was presented as fact. Counter-arguments where that what was known as shadow banning became mainstream in social media circles. In 2021, during the Canadian truckers' protest against COVID mandates, led to mass bans of these protesters, deplatforming them, and removal of their bank accounts. These people were hounded down and out. It was in this context that in early 2022, when Russia invaded Ukraine, those people then had to move quickly from fighting the truckers in Ottawa to Russia in Ukraine. Posts and channels from pro-Russia sources saw themselves banned and individuals who were journalists banned also. But it didn't just end there. Anti-war people, leftists, or others also got banned or shadow banned in the West and on social media. Now, wait. You're thinking, well, you know, bad things did happen. There was a 9-11, and there was an invasion in Afghanistan, and there were nasty people in Afghanistan. And there was a Russian invasion of Ukraine. These things happened. But it was in a different context, and that context may or may not be explained or may be explained in a different way. And that brings me to my next point, narratives. You see, narratives are important. These are the messages that go out via the media and technology. A narrative could be simple things that people understand. Saddam, bad. Bush, good. That works. But it doesn't work if you tell the people that Iraq had been under 12 years of sanctions with babies dying and their oil being taken by the occupiers for 12 years. It does not work when you tell them that WMD was big fat I and just, just, just to go to war, really. For the narrative to work, it must be simple so it can make a neat daily mail headline. Black and white, good and bad, democracy and autocracy, Nazis and good guys, communists and capitalists, and it's always the reader, listener, viewer who is the good guy and the dictator, Saddam, or whoever, 
pick an individual is the bad guy. So you don't have the headline where you hate an entire nation. No, we don't hate Iraq. But you do hate the one nut job at the top who needs to be removed to save the world. Yes, the world no less. The whole wide world. And then maybe you can justify the invasion, occupation, destruction of an entire country. It's just worth it. Simple narratives are easy to both manufacture and run with. Was there anyone in the Western collective that wanted to have peace or a ceasefire in Ukraine? As of going live with this episode, that is a negative. No, no one did. The public in the West wanted to arm Ukraine to defeat Russia and remove Putin from office. This was originally the hidden NATO agenda, only for it to become the overt NATO agenda. You see, narratives matter, and no one does narratives better than the West. So now we've looked at fear, media, tech, and narratives, and we need to move on to what Dr. Robert Malone of the U.S. called mass formation psychosis. Malone used it to outline some of the irrational measures of the U.S. and Western governments during COVID and the resulting government propaganda around it. He called it a free-floating anxiety, a sense of unreality. To me, this is the result of fear, of propaganda, of media and tech control. It is the unintended consequence of all that I've mentioned already. When you go and put the full weight and capacity of the machine into war mode, people start to believe and live the message. In the end, so do you, the messenger, meaning you live in the countless loop, the echo chamber of your own making. When reality does hit, and when it does, it hits hard, the narrative runs the risk of collapse. So you double down on your politics and create more narratives. Control becomes the name of the game. Anyone who's against you is a Nazi or a Putin puppet or a terrorist. The leader, your leader, that bastion of freedom and democracy is right and supreme. Your media is full of well-educated liberals. As you can tell, manufacturing consent in China is easy. And it is easy in Russia too. And no one believes the government there anyway. Manufacturing consent in Brazil or India is much harder, but manufacturing consent in the Western collective is, of course, an art form. You can invade a country, bomb a country, covertly support terrorists, and even overtly support Nazis, all in the name of freedom. And you are, of course, the target, or the mind, you personally, your mind, is perpetually hacked. You are the victim if you live in the West because you refuse to question the narrative. What about the future? Well, what do we know from evolving technology? It is that the governments of the collective West will need to mimic China and Russia. If they, need, if they can keep up, they have to keep up, otherwise they'll fall behind. So they've got to mimic Russia and China because they want to compete with Russia and China. In the West, people with independent thought typically on the hard left and populist right, 
will get sidelined in favor of corporate elites who are controlled by the government elites. I'll expect to see more effort by your government to control you so foreign governments do not win you. I'll also expect to see more deep fakes, i.e. technology that can make something, an image or a film look real. People will ultimately manufacture images and tell us that it is real and people will believe it. In the Russian invasion of Ukraine, for example, images from video games, no less, that look, that looked fake to me, looked real to others. And I mean this, people took it as real. They believed that that was a real war activity. And it's amazing what educated people believe. Is there a way out? Well, yes, independent thinking is a way out. I always assume 100% of news is propaganda. Anywhere, 100% is propaganda. And I also assume that 100% of all the news is also fact. That means everything I consume, everything I assume is 100% accurate. But for that to work, you have to listen to and read contrarian views and believe 100% of that as fact too. So for me personally, the way I make informed decision is I'll watch, say, something like the BBC and understand what the British government thinks. That I believe to be 100% accurate. I would then need to listen to Russia today and understand what the Russian government thinks and then decide between the two of them, peel some onions there, and kind of come to my own understanding. I'd also like to listen to some independent thought from third parties, ideally, possibly not from the UK or Russia, and that would help me make my decisions. Of course, sources are also important. As I said, you know, Russia today is uh, as compromised as the BBC or NBC. As an individual, it's hard to fight the system. You are the target. But questioning everything, especially if the media or the government or everyone else around you is converging on one particular viewpoint, is always to me a red flag. Something is up. But I'm not here to lecture you on the info wars. I'm here to tell you to be your own person and not get dragged into the aforementioned info wars. To be an independent thinker requires questions. It needs sources, not BBC versus CNN because they are mostly the same source, but people who are also completely independent or in a completely alternative ideology to you. It requires you to be intent to not become manufactured consent. Hope you found this useful and helpful. Thank you again for taking the time to listen. Do make sure to subscribe and like on your podcast platform of choice. Catch you soon. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Thank you.